0: Hey folks, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We have a great guest on the show this week. Someone I got to know over the past couple weeks at Unleash. And I'm also going to be, uh, I was because this is happening in the future on his podcast this week. His name's Rob Jepsen. He is the CEO of Exvoyant. He is a long time and well-respected sales leader. And he's going to talk to us about the importance of sales coaching, which is so important and so critical. And so many, so much of the time uh, we don't do a good enough job at it, or we're doing the Wrong things, focusing on activities but not focusing on the rep. And Rob encourages us to focus on PDA, which is purpose driven activities. So, focusing on the right activities, not just all activities in general. Now, before we do that, we've got a new sponsor on the show. So, our first sponsor is Showpad. Showpad is the leading sales enablement platform for the modern seller. So, Showpad's all in one platform empowers sales and marketing teams to engage buyers through industry leading training and coaching software and innovative content and engagement solutions. Using the most comprehensive data on successful sales interactions, Showpad fuels AI to discover, replicate, and automate what works for top performers. So, learn more at showpad.com forward slash sales hacker. You know our second sponsor, our second sponsor is Outreach. They are the leading sales engagement platform Outreach supports sales reps by enabling to humanize their communications at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. Finally, we want to thank some of the fans that have been writing in and listening to the show. Mark Pruitt, the CEO at Virtual Facility, thank you for reaching out. Corey Payne at Gemalto, Anthony Franklin, who thinks it's an amazing podcast, Philip Stockau from Germany, Caitlin Tissington Turner, Solomon Lichter, Brendan McAdams, Steve Rice, Brendan Barca, and Fernando Murasilva. Gracias a usted. Thank you very much for everybody that's listening. We really, really appreciate it. And without further ado, let's listen to Rob Jepson, CEO of Exvoyant and an incredible force in the sales world. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We've got an incredible guest today. We've got Rob Jepson, And Rob is a career sales leader and also the founder and CEO of his own company. So let me give you his quick bio and then Rob will fill in all the blanks and we're gonna have a great conversation a lot of it focused on how to run a one-on-one and how to do sales coaching the right way so rob jepson is founder and ceo of Xvoyant. it's a sales leadership tech platform and they're committed to helping organizations develop world-class sales leaders now before forming Xvoyant Just around three years ago, he worked at HireView as senior vice president and general manager of HigherView Coach. Before that, he was SVP of sales for Zion's Bank for 10 years. In that capacity, he led 700 salespeople across seven lines of business, organized over 50 sales teams, and was responsible for sales targets exceeding over $3 billion. And then prior to that, I think he uh, founded and sold two companies. He's been recognized and received a ton of awards, including 15 Gold and Silver Stevie Awards from the American Business Association, and uh, including categories, Sales Leader of the Year, Sales Process of the Year, Sales Team of the Year, Sales Curriculum of the Year, Sales Coaching Program of the Year. And in addition to that, I think he received the first Salesforce Surfboard Award as a sales leader that best used Salesforce to win new business in a large enterprise category. So Rob, welcome to the show. Man, I'm just gonna have you drop the mic. I can't live up to that, Sam. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. And, you wrote um, it. You wrote I'm a, it. I'm a big fan of your show. I'm honored to be on the phone on the, be on your podcast with you today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're super super excited to have you. So you're you're a well known speaker in the space, and you know you're you're flying around the country doing SKOs and telling us about how to how to do things better and do things right. So we want to talk about that. Tell us about Exvoyant. You know, you walked me through both the name, but give us a little bit of background on the company, what you all do, and and why you founded it.
1: Yeah, so I founded this company because I was a sales leader that worked at a large organization. Uh, You know, I had a lot of reps, we were geographically dispersed, and I was the person who bought Salesforce, and I had my boss tell me when we spent over a million dollars on a piece of tech, he said, if this doesn't work, a head's going to have to roll, Rob, and I promise you, it will not be mine. And I you meant. okay? (laughs) That got my attention. And so, I needed a tool, because as much as I love Salesforce, and they're a great partner of mine to this day, they were... They were awesome at helping me get Salesforce up and going. But when it was done, I remember this feeling of, okay, what do I do now with this giant sales team I have? What do I have my managers do different, Sam? I just, I didn't know what they were supposed to, go log some calls, I guess, go put your opportunities in. I just, I didn't feel like I had a clear line of sight on what do my managers do differently. And so I had to go and I started exporting a lot of stuff, invented a lot of coaching models and we'll talk about it. But I knew that the secret was, can my... 60 some managers of those you know hundreds of reps those 60 teams with multiple managers, can we help them know how to lead better? Because that's where your lever is. When you have a team, if your managers are leading 8 to 12 people, I needed them to be just as equipped as my reps were. And if you think about that, everybody's equipping reps, and we aren't equipping managers. So I manually did it. It worked awesome. We got to the point where 76% of our team was hitting goal. We set six records in a row. And then Salesforce was one that told me, you should start a business around this. And so, today, I have a tool that lives native in Salesforce, and it transforms Salesforce from a system of record to a system of action, system of improvement. And um, it's all around saying, can in the one-on-one, we predict what one activity or one skill we should modify, and more important, what's it worth to, to that rep? And I built it because I needed it. It's been awesome. We've been growing fast. We live heavily in the tech space. We live heavily in the financial institution space, we live heavily in the manufacturing and, and uh, industrial space, We've got a lot of name brand customers, you know, and the name of our company is fun because it's playing words at clairvoyant is a magic person that can predict the future. Sam, nobody needs to predict the future more than a sales leader, right? We listen, I, I feel that pressure still. I, I remember what it felt like to have to go report to Wall Street if we we're going to hit or if we we're going to miss. But I believe there's no magic required to to predict the future in sales. If you understand execution, you can predict through execution and create what we refer to as an ex system. And that's what we do. We help sales leaders become very predictable with every single rep on their team. And we answer one question, Sam, that I think will set up a fun conversation. I love asking sales leaders, what's your plan to have every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%? Do you have that plan? And if you do, you'll grow by
0: way more than you ever expected. So this is fascinating. You were talking about you put this manual process in place. And I mean, walk walk us through how to do it. I think to your point, there's... I coach or tell people, you know, everybody deserves a weekly one-on-one. I try not to have every one-on-one be about, you know, pipeline and let's review it each deal, but you know, alternate between that and uh, individual coaching, and then also individual motivation and personal development. But tell us how we're supposed to be doing it. <laughs> well,
1: everybody's different. One of the things I have learned, Sam, is one size does not fit all. And if someone says there's one way of doing doing it, no matter who you are, my first advice is run like hell, get away from those people. I believe that that it's going to come down to a lot of things. But the one thing that we always, that we should always make sure we we do is, I believe that consistency is the key. So I love how you said that you believe that everybody should have a weekly one-on-one. I believe that frequency is the first place that we miss. We get inconsistent on frequency. We also get inconsistent on focus. And for example, Sam, one of the problems that I see happen most often is what what do you do with your guys that are crushing, your people that are crushing when you have a, a high performer that's smoking the goal? What do you think, I'm not going to say you, but what do you think the natural inclination for a large majority of,
0: of sales leaders would be? I would say the natural inclination is don't do anything at all and kind of leave them alone. You're in a one-on-one and you're just sort of like stroking their ego and telling them how great he or she is.
1: If you even have it. You know what I see happen all the time, Sam? They say, hey, you're, you're crushing right now. I'll catch you next time. I see that all the time. And so, I think the first thing we have to do is say, coaching is not about who's good or who's bad. That's one of the first mistakes that I see, Sam. It's not about being a fixer. Coaching and the one-on-one, in fact, we should talk about what the word coaching even means. I actually am starting to run from it a little bit because it has so many different connotations to people. The one-on-one is about that individual's development. And if it's only there because something's broke, then you have really missed the boat. And so, I believe that consistency should be about, yes, frequency, but also focus. And it should be the safest meeting a rep has. I I always love to ask my leader, Sam, to say, think about all the meetings your reps have every week, every month, every quarter. How many of them are 100% about them and where they want to take their performance and their career? Well, this is the only one. The answer is very, very few. Yeah. So, you, you better. So, that's that's the first thing to focus. Here's the second thing that I see, Sam. Too many times, the one on one is looking backward. It's what happened since we met last. Here's a great rule of thumb 90% of the time in a one on one should be about the future and only 10% about the past. So, if you're one on ones, how long are your one on ones with your people?
0: 45 minutes typically.
1: Okay. So, Let's call it thirty minutes because I, I it's easier math for me, or, or sixty minutes. Because like, again, yeah, <laughs> <the only laughs> I can, the, only, the only math I can do, Sam. The only math I'm good at is commissions, brother. And so, um, if you have a thirty minute one, you got three minutes to talk about what happened, and and twenty seven minutes to talk about what you're going to do next, and. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a big mistake, because we ambush people with data, we make people feel like they're here to defend what they've accomplished. This should really be a strategic planning session that's about getting where the company wants them to go, getting more important where they want to go themselves and creating individual plans for individual people. I think there's way too many spreadsheet leaders that think it's as simple as reverse engineering, number of calls, number of demos, et cetera. And so that's part of it. You got to work hard enough. And anybody that tells you work smarter, not harder, I think is full of shit. I think that you got to work smart and hard. And the one-on-one should be the time where you, you sit down and collaborate and say, how good can you really get? And let's get
0: there together. Wow. Okay. And so what are the processes or what are the philosophies or what are the systems that you've built into Xvoyant to help managers do that?
1: All right. So we have a really, really simple framework that I think that it, I think that it'll be fun for us to discuss. And the, the managers that are on, on this uh, podcast listening, I, I think that this is a really easy way to have your one-on-one framework be relevant. I think one of the problems that we have, Sam, is... Everyone has different, chat, different spots, you know, we, we try to, we tend to treat everyone the same. It's like you said, this will be the pipeline meeting, uh, we're going to have this career development meeting. I think that it's, a, here's a really simple way to start. I call it Razor, R-A-S-R, okay? Start with results. It's really easy. We use results because we don't coach to results, but we use results to identify what we should be talking about, if that makes sense. And it's really yeah. simple are you on track for what the company wants? It's an easy yes or no. They don't need you to tell them the answer. Our tech will help with that. Anybody's tech will help with that, but you want to use a tool to identify very quickly how far ahead are you, how far behind are you. So it's not a defensive conversation. It just is what it is that leads to the second results oriented type question. Are you on track? So if you're doing what the company wants, then if that's, yes, then are you on track to accomplish your own personal goals? If that's yes, then we have to have a way to quantify process. And our tech quantifies process, we'll talk about that in a minute. Does the process say you're there to stay? So are you hitting what the company wants? If yes, are you hitting what you want? If that's yes, does process say you're gonna stay there or do you have trouble looming on the horizon? If all of those are yes, Sam, what kind of rep are we talking
0: about? Or I would assume we're talking about a great rep.
1: Yeah, one of the best in the company. So that, <laughs> how
0: hard was that by the way? That's super easy, right? Yep. So, then the structure then
1: turns into this, how good can you get? And we have a few things that we, we model related to, you know, what's the rounding error worth on activities for you? Or we look at volume data, conversion data, and we say, what are the rounding errors and how do we change skills or activities to help you benefit from those things? You know, maybe it's time to start fishing in different fishing holes and going to larger deal sizes. Maybe instead of starting 5.3 starts in a week, what would happen if you rounded that to six? What, what is that worth to you? And by playing what if games with dollars, you'll be blown away how much the stars appreciate someone taking them away from the intensity of the things they got to do for the day and saying, this is what it's worth to make a small change. So that's fun. The the category one, how good can you get conversation is the funnest one. And it's the one that is most often missed because sales leaders say, when someone's saying yes to all those things, I'm just going to leave them alone, which makes it really easy to quit just between you and me. Let's go back, though, to the results. If any of those are no, I'm missing what the company wants, I'm missing what I want for myself, or process says I'm gonna stay, we immediately go and we say, let's look at the process. Process can be strong or process can be weak. Here's what we've modeled, Sam, that eliminates 80% of the variance of sales, okay? Anything that's B2B. And this is fairly general, but you can see how you can model it. You can calculate the, do- the number of dollars that a rep should have in the pipeline, really simply by saying bull divided by win rate. That tells you how many dollars you should be chasing. That's easy, right? I mean, no, no magic to that. Then if you divide that dollar amount by their average deal size, you can also know how many deals should it be in the pipeline. And then we should use tech to derive what's their win rate, what's their cycle time look like from start to close and by stage. So if we can look at it and say you're either greater than or less than what you should be on dollars of the pipeline, you're either greater than or less than and deal flow of the pipeline, and you're faster or slower than where you need to be. If you get those three things—dollars, deals, and speed—right, we've modeled it. It eliminates eighty percent of the variance in sales. There's still twenty percent shit just happens. But if you get those things right, start enough with enough, fast enough you get tons of consistency. And so we look at that and we say, if someone's process says, yes, I have those three things working for me, then we have someone with a great engine working for them and we're gonna tune their deals. So that's category two, tune the deals. We look at stalled deals and we look at must-win deals and we look at miscategorized deals. I'll tell you how we do that in a second. Model three conversation is, if your process is weak, then you gotta tune your sales engine. There's only four pistons, I've heard you talk about them, you're familiar with the sales equation, you know the set, that formula, it's number of opportunities, multiplied by average deal size, multiplied by win rate, divided by length of sales cycle. If your process is weak, you gotta do activities that pump up the engine, tune the engine. If your engine is fine, then you gotta tune the deals, and the way we do that is by focusing on verifiers, rather than just sales activities. And what you find is you have three coaching conversations. How good can you get? Tune the deal, tune the engine, and it makes it so every coaching conversation is a hundred percent relevant about getting where they want to go, not just where the company wants them to go.
0: Okay, that's that's the formula. So, how do you? So I guess one of my observations is sometimes you know we talk in numbers, right? Like win rate and uh, sales cycle length, and all of these things, but if uh, like the, to the point of, if you got 5.3 new opportunities a week or 5.3 meetings a week, and what would happen if you got it to six? And I guess the implication there is that it's, it's that easy as tweaking a number when in fact, the number is a reflection of like a set of embedded behaviors. So how do you change behavior to affect all of the output metrics that fall into a spreadsheet really nicely?
1: That's a fantastic question because it's not as easy as just modeling on a spreadsheet. But it starts with that. You want to first say, is our effort like consistent with people that are in that zone? One of the things that we've learned, Sam, that we always our tech does, we I learned a long time ago that just simple stack ranking That's just not an effective leadership tool, it's a fine reporting tool, but it doesn't really help people decide to improve. We've never had more business intelligence solutions ever, and you've probably seen it, the numbers coming from people like Jim Dickey and others, the percentage of reps hitting goal is falling, it's not growing, it's falling, even with all these new data tools. So, you're right, data doesn't make people change, people do. And so, we surround those numbers with what are the activities that drive it, but more important, what are the skills? So call that skill to success. You know, every outcome that you track is driven by an activity that you do, like call it dials or emails or demos or whatever it is. And then those are gonna be effective or not effective based on the skills that you exhibit during the conducting of that activity. You know, maybe it's questioning skills, maybe it's the way you handle objections, maybe it's the way you like something as simple as the way you deliver a proposal we found can drive a massive swing in win rates and cycle times. You know, one of the the dumbest things I see people do is they just email it over, they run it up the flagpole and hope someone salutes, right? And um, and best, you know, we have customers that they do simple things like say, you never email a proposal again. You get them on the phone and when they're on the phone with you, then you email it when they're on it and you walk them through it and arrange next steps. That's a thing that can be done in coaching though because they can look at the way the delivery was on on different things, and you coach to the skills to make it sure that the skills become more effective. So, numbers do identify, A, if they're working hard enough, but numbers also identify, Sam, where their skills are, because the conversions will map to well-defined skills that you, in the one-on-one, can then create observable moments and say, these are the skills. And that's what I really love, is numbers give you content but the coach creates the context and that's why you've got to have killer one-on-ones because it makes it so a rep knows that they're more than just a number that they've got to return and they're more than just a placeholder on a spreadsheet and if you segment your team instead of just stack rank your team into different categories we call them core high core and star core low core and poor and you can say show me how a star works even though I'm low core and I'm going to model that behavior, I'm going to work as hard as they are first and then I'm going to get my conversions to look like those ones because I'm going to start intentionally changing skills. Then you start creating what we call purpose driven activities. We have fun with it. We call it PDA instead of just more activities, Add purpose to it, Sam. That's what a coach's job is, is to help them add purpose. Don't just go through motions and fill out Salesforce reports. Freaking have purpose to what you do, and a great one-on-one should both ignite something that was dead before, and inspire someone to say, I have reason to want to be better than I am. And if you do those things, you'll be blown away
0: that how much adding purpose to an activity can change the result. So how do you add purpose? What's an example of a purpose-driven activity?
1: Okay, so let's talk about tuning the deal. Let's pretend we have six sales stages and most of the time, here's what we see, Sam, I'll be interested in your take because I know you talk to tons of sales leaders as well. A salesperson will say, well, I do these three or four activities in stage one, and then I get to go to stage two, and I do these three activities, and I go to stage three, then I do these, and I go to stage four, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll get to the point where I have a deal that they keep saying is in commit, it's going to close, it never freaking closes, and you know, you already know that 46% is what the forecasted deals closed last
0: year. And I, did, I did two, not know that. That's a great stat. 46% yeah, four, of the committed deals that reps committed to the, pipe, to the forecast closed? Yes, that's right.
1: Last year things were in commit only forty six percent closed. Odds in Vegas winning at craps forty nine. So your chances winning in Vegas are higher on the craps table than getting your commits to close.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a depressing statistic.
1: (laughs) Unless you're in Vegas.
0: (laughs) I'll see you at the table, Sam. (laughs) So how how do we get how do we move that forty six percent number?
1: So, everybody talks about things like exit criteria, but here's the problem with using the term exit criteria. Exit criteria is still interpreted by a rep that, well, if I've done this, then I have the exit criteria. I We believe in our point of view, and what we help our customers build, is that you need customer verified outcomes. We refer to them as verifiers. Everybody can have a different name for it. But think of it as a toll booth, Sam, where the toll has to be paid by the customer. So, the rep does these three things, but they have to get this from a customer. And it's gotta be something that you can say, I ah, here it is. And so for instance, you may have needed, maybe you have you have some information you've got to get for them, or maybe you have one of our customers, I think right now, they have it, they, they put together a close plan. At a very specific stage, they actually put together a close plan where they say, We're gonna do this, the champion says, We're gonna do this, and when the champion says, like emails them, they're part of the close plan. All of a sudden, their win rates change. So, they made that a, a, a verifier. They needed the customer-sent close plan. And a purpose-driven activity would be, I need to talk to the customer not to have a call. I need to talk to the customer and get them to give me the clo- their part of the close plan. And so, you set a coaching goal around that. You collaborate with them on how to do that. I'll tell you a company who does a really great job. I'll give you a shout-out. One of our customers is Adobe. Adobe does a great job at having verifiers. Uh, we're working with Jake Rennie and Keith Bessinger and their team over there. And they've done a great job at having really well-defined customer-verified outcomes that they use as the trigger for advancing stages. That's a really good purpose-driven activity. Here's another example. Sometimes it is as simple as, you know what? You go, Sam, you're my boss. You say, Rob, you are the most prolific emailer on the team. You do two X more emails than anybody on the team, but you only have one-tenth of the prospect calls or, or demos. I want you to slow down the emails, and we're going to start setting goals around more prospect calls. So you're going to have to develop some skills now. I want to help you with your targeting. I want to help you with your messaging. But we're going to become a lot more intentional on this motion. Instead of just saying, I'm winning the email battle, what I want to do is have you start being far more effective on this activity. So adding purpose to fuel the engine, adding purpose to get verifiers, it really is around saying, do we understand the activities that either fuel the engine or create verifiers to advance the deals. And looking at those individually in the one-on-one is what makes that one-on-one so relevant. You do it that way, Sam, you'll never feel like it's micromanagement because you're talking about things that take them from current state to future state, which is the biggest place that coaches miss. They, They try to be fixers rather than enablers for going from good to great or great to Mars, or sometimes from shit to acceptable
0: you know? <laughs> shit to acceptable is good. Yeah. Well, I have a, you know, you mentioned there, what was the stat that you mentioned that, uh, you know, that I guess number of reps hitting goal is falling and continues to fall. And now that of course is a function of where you set the goal, but, there's, also, there's a bunch of other factors, and, and some of the factors are uh, the quality of the products that the reps are selling, and some of them are the expansion or contraction of the market in, into which they're selling into. Another factor might be the growth of competitors. My question for you, Rob, is what? how much delta do you think there is in... I mean, I guess you wouldn't have started a business without it, but give us your perspective. How much Delta is there in coaching the right way, managing the right way? How much more performance do you think we can get out of you know, the global sales community?
1: I can only give you what I've experienced, and I wouldn't be bold enough to say that I'm the know-it-all. I would say guys like Jim Dickey and Tamara Shank that do this kind of research all the time—they, they, you know, those are two good follows. They they study this in depth. Here's what I've seen, though. Here's again what my customers have experienced. We've yet, we have still not yet had a customer not experience double-digit growth in percentage of people hitting goal. One of our more dramatic ones, here's a great story, and and you're right, there are a ton of things. We had a team that joined on with us, they beat their goal by 20% that year, and they were in high five mode. Here's the problem though, Sam, they did it with only 22% of their team hitting goal. So that 28-year-old was alive and well, and and the president of the company bought from us because he said, I'll never forget the quote, he said, I need a bigger return on the rest of the team than CO2 on the air they breathe. And so we helped them start having one-on-ones that were purpose-driven, uh, with that razor format and everybody's setting goals at every, every two weeks, they're setting a, a different goal of what they're trying to intentionally improve. And we're the only company that measures coachability. That's another interesting dynamic. When your reps know that you're measuring their coachability. They're the ones that are setting their goals. They become very, very involved in setting that goal because they want to make sure that they set goals that they have a good chance on on hitting. Here's what I found. You won't ever have everybody get better, Sam. You're right. Some people set ridiculous goals. But what I found is if you segment it, instead of saying those that are hitting goal and those that aren't. If you just say, my mission is to get 10% better, that's what we always start with. Can I find ways to get 10% better? That's, an, that's a very interesting question, Sam, and the bigger you are, the more powerful that question is. And if everybody has a plan that they're working on that they know in their head says, I get at least 10% better, they all know what that does for them financially. Nobody joined sales, Sam, because they wanted to suck. Our profession is attracting people that are motivated that want to do big things with their careers. And so, when you have someone that helps them identify, how do I just get 10% better? And then, next time we meet, we're going to see if we're doing that. That's what we found, is the leader has a huge impact, not by saying, get to goal. That's just that's a weak approach. It should be, take where you are, and let's get that plus one, because that's better. And the next time we're going to get there, we're going to take where you are, and we'll try and get that plus two. And the great leaders, they inspire that kind of performance, Sam, not because there's so much variance, but because you can always find something to tweak to help them self-correct. And, and you know, it's that setting the sail. Don't, I don't know if you follow Jim Rohn, the old uh, business philosopher guy. He has a super famous speech called the setting of the sails, and he says that the sailing ships, They didn't only get there if the wind blew them in the right direction. They set their sails, and they drove their rudder, and they could end up wherever they wanted, not because of the direction that the wind blows, but because of how they set their sails. That's why I think, Sam, that coaching and having one-on-ones matters. Not because the coaches don't know it all, but because the leader and the reps stop, and they set their sails, and they course correct. They don't get off track. If they're on track, they make the sail catch more wind, and if you're more intentional, you will see a lot more variance than you think because
0: you create a unique plan for a unique person. That's what I think. I love it. I mean, obviously, to your point, right? Everybody's different. Everybody has different things that they need to work on. But nevertheless, your software is installed at some massive organizations, and you do have insights on common behaviors that reps need to adjust or modify to improve their performance. Are there one, two, three core you know key mistakes that you continue to see reps make over and over that impacts their ability to achieve
1: Inside of companies, yes. Across companies, that's a tougher tougher one. Here's here's why. So our, you know, we have people in the in the industrial like waste management and Avery Dennison. You know, they're totally different than a tech company like Steelhouse, for instance, one of the fastest growing ad tech companies or, or Admiral They're both our customers. Their sales motion is a, a million times different than what waste management does, right? Or what Comerica Bank does. But inside of companies, you're absolutely right. So the ways that people follow up is something that is very again not not a mind blower for me to tell you that but the great ones follow up differently than the average or the fledgling ones do there's a lot of best practices that we find and we're able to pick up inside of those those orgs i already kind of shared like the way that you deliver proposals is a really common one. That actually translates across all. I've actually been asked to teach tons of, of, of classes now to our customers on proposal delivery, never on proposal creation, always on proposal delivery. That's one that in all three of our markets seems to come up. Follow-up across the board is big, but honestly, Sam, they're consistent in companies or industries, but they don't often jump across industries except for Work ethic really will always matter. I know that probably seems like no duh. Follow-up will always, always be, I think, one of the differentiators between the average and the stars. And I think probably the last one that I would say is a real hallmark. The more coachable you are, Sam, the more growth you have over time. We found that there's this performance value chain, I guess is the best way to call it. Outcomes are driven by process. Process is only driven by coachability. People do what they do, Sam. And the only reason you're ever going to change your process is if you are open to people making suggestions that you say, yeah, I'm willing to give that
0: a try. And so that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but it's the honest answer. It's a good answer. And I've got a, I've got a follow-up, which is (laughs) uh, because one of the, the middle thing you said, I actually have not heard before, which is how people follow up can have a huge impact on performance. So what do the best reps do when they're following up that differentiates them from the mediocre reps?
1: I'm super glad you asked that. This is one that we just have been working on with some of our customers. And this this one is across all of our industries. The great ones, make sure that before they're done talking to them, that customer or that prospect knows what's going to happen next. And they've actually organized it before they go. So it's not like, hey, I'll call you. It's get your calendar open now. So we're scheduling when that follow-up conversation is going to be. Here are the things that I'm going to be sending you I don't wanna just send them to you. I'd like to get on the phone and walk them through with you to make sure that you know how to use these. And that if there's any questions, you can give it to me then so I can modify those. That is an awesome best practice that we're finding that the people who, they don't just say, hey, I'll get back to you, and then they get it and then they cross their fingers and hope. They're scheduling it. They're, they're actually not just sending it to them. They say, I'm gonna get you on the phone and then I'm gonna send it to you. Those things are small tweaks but it shows buyer intent. If the buyer is not willing to actually make sure that what you're sending them for follow-up is meeting their needs, that's actually an indicator on how well you did in that call that you're on, if that, if you think about that. That's a best practice that jumps that's uh, we're
0: seeing right now. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the reason, uh, if I were to hypothesize, is that so many reps... Some of them are just uncomfortable in those negotiating moments, in those moments where they need to ask for specific behaviors back from the buyer. And they're so happy to get the approval. They have what some people call happy ears and they're just, okay, this call went great. (laughs) And then they just, you know, so that they, they're so happy to get some of the answer that they thought that they wanted that they, they give up on the rest of it and completing and closing the circle.
1: Yeah. You know, i am glad you said that. I, I have this conversation a lot. What a lot of people think is the finish line is really the starting line. Right. And I don't think that quite often we make it Maybe it's because we haven't trained them. Maybe it's because they're insecure. I don't know the reason why, Sam, but one-on-ones will set that up. And you know, leaders need to be involved in that. I think that they need to make sure that they've practiced that. They, they give them access to listening to other people doing that. Let them watch people do that, help them do that. Maybe early on in their career, actually jump in and, and show them how that's done. And then I think that when you start showing people how to do the job rather than telling them how to do the job, it becomes much easier for them to model that activity.
0: Yeah. So I guess fundamentally, I mean, I know this is sort of like a leading question, but so you fundamentally believe people are coachable, I would assume, because you believe so much in coaching.
1: I do. You have some people that, you know, again... Sam, the bigger you are, you'll never have 100% of a population doing anything. I always tell that to our customers. You know, if you look at us as a silver bullet, you're going to be bummed. But I do believe that people are coachable, and I've seen some of the most rigid people change. It starts never, like with the more rigid people, they don't ever do it because they want to, but when they start seeing that their leader has their interests in mind. That's why consistency is so important, Sam. Everybody thinks, you know, at first, Oh, I must be in trouble because they're talking to me except for the, I'm going to call bullshit on myself on that. The incoming generation of salespeople, they value that at the very top of the list, Sam. They want to know how am I going to be developed? They're going to want to know how are you going to help me get better, faster than if I was on my own. And our customers are telling us right now that that coaching culture and that environment of we are equipping our managers to do this, we are taking it seriously and you can expect that when your manager has a one-on-one with you, they're going to be good at it because we've trained them to have impact with reps just like we're going to train you to have impact with prospects. And when they believe that that's the case, yeah, they will. Now that said, there's going to be bad apples in every bunch and our advice is if you got a toxic person which doesn't respond, think long and hard while you have them there. absolutely i'm serious I, i'm serious I'm, I'm dead serious sam toxic teammates i mean even if they're a badass quarter crusher you better be asking yourself you know that impact on people with a toxic teammate that says i'm not going to change that goes on. Here's another one, though. Let me give you this one. This is a really good uh, reason why you should measure coachability that your listeners might like, Sam. Uh, a lot of times, the top performers feel like if I'm performing at the best, I'm a candidate to be promoted. Fair to say,
0: right? I uh, Absolutely.
1: Okay. But if you're measuring coachability and you see that you have a top performer that's great at the sales process and hitting a number, but they respond poorly to change and they're unwilling to change, well, then you can say to them in your one one I love everything about you you'd say rob you are you embody everything we want here except you resist change so let me tell you you can keep your job as a rep but until you can demonstrate to the company that you're change you're open to change you can't lead a team because change is part of the game and we can't have our leaders be change resistant because teams reflect our managers so you got to start learning how to be open to change or else you can't run a team i can't
0: tell you how many times that's how people want to change yeah. I, that's, that's great feedback. Rob, how did you know, there's a lot of people out there that say they want to start a company. I'm curious, you know, you've started a technology company. I take it. You're not an engineer. Is that right? Dude, I have the opposite. <laughs> this is funny though. My dad,
1: can you tell you about our family? My dad is, is a, one of the engineers that invented the first laser jet printer for Hewlett Packard. So he's a, damn okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Jepson, we salute you. My dad, he tells the story of they went and talk to Dave and Bill Packard way back in the day and said, we have this idea for a desktop printer. And they were told we're a calculator and a mainframe computer company. And we don't see, you know, we don't see that in our future and the rest is history. So I've been around (laughs) innovation. But what's funny is my dad thinks he failed as a father because he has a son in sales. And
0: uh, <laughs> I think you're doing pretty well. Yeah, well, we have fun. I'm
1: like, Dad, if it's not for guys like us, man, y- your prayer means nothing. And he's like, without our badass uh, pr- product, you guys don't have anything to sell. So, we, we go back and forth like that. But I am not an engineer. I I, I, I have absolutely not. I for sure am a sales leader. Uh, I have surrounded myself with a lot of the best devs here in the Silicon Slopes area. We have a killer engineering team. The reason that I decided, I'm a, I'm a 40-something, man. I should have done that a long time ago, but again, Sam, I like, I'm doing this with a bunch of kids in school and I, you know, it it was a way different decision to start a business with a more mature family with a
0: lot more responsibilities than when I was younger with nothing to lose. Right. Absolutely. Well, my question is, how'd you do it? I mean, how did you, because a lot of the time, you know, the, the issue... I'll tell you, this is an issue in New York, right? The issue in New York is that there's a lot of salespeople and there's a lot of MBA people. Most of the MBA people are convinced that they should be founders, but <laughs> engineers don't... they don't want to work for those people because they don't think that they can learn that much from them. And so the biggest problem with New York and the reason that there hasn't been more explosive, you know, unicorns is because the quality of the engineering talent isn't good enough. And they're not excited and mobilized by, you know, the vision that these non-technical founders are are selling them, but you've managed to put together an incredible team. What do you attribute your success to?
1: So I was able to get the right guys early. And again, here we are, we, I would get introduced to the guy to be the right guy to build our prototype of our product. I'll never forget it. I wanted to start the company for years, Sam, but I was being, I was, forgive me. I was a pussy. I just, I was afraid to make the, to make the jump because I didn't know who would build the product for me. And I was fortunate enough to get introduced to someone. And I said, let me tell you how big this market is. Let me tell you what this does. Here's, you know, we're native in Salesforce right now. We only work with Salesforce customers and that's led to an awesome relationship with Salesforce this gentleman made a prototype for me and I looked at him and I said, let me go see if I can sell it. And so I went and I sold it to two people, even though it was ugly and even though it was limited, but because I know I speak with our customer's voice because I am that market, we were able to attach it to key problems, dollarize those problems, say, listen, you know we'll give you this deal if you'll it, this crazy deal if you'll do it. We funded our company on a couple of those deals with some big Comp customers. And then I went and raised $2 million in seed funding. And we are mission-driven, Sam. I mean, we we do with a small company of roughly 30 people what most people are like, how are you not 100 people strong already because of the kind of work we're cranking out? And it's everything for me is we found the right people. I'm fortunate that I live in an area. But these guys, really, because we're dominated by dev guys on our in our company and then CX, the first thing we do, Sam, is we get them oriented to the mission and we are mission oriented, man. Here's what we believe. A manager's job is to help a rep do their very best work. So as a result, they can live their best life because I think it's not about work-life balance like we've all heard, it's work-life integration. You can't yeah. live- That's can't, a new phrase. It's a new phrase, it's not mine, it's what everybody's saying. But you can't separate it, Sam. If you're not doing your best work, you're not gonna live your best life. And so our people bought into that mission. And just like you hear Kyle uh, Porter over at SalesLoft talk about sales love, we got sales manager love over here. We love sales leaders because if they, if they do it right, Sam, they change more than companies and teams. They become legendary in the lives of people they lead, and our company got behind that. You should see it, man. We we love it when our customers come over. Our developers are researching and reading every study on sales coaching and the state of the sales world. They know as much about this stuff as a sales leader does. So there are we've we've had great talent that wanted to work here, and I told them you got to be passionate about sales leadership. And this guy looked at me, he's like, I don't really care what I'm coding. I just want to you know work for a high growth company. And I told my CTO. can't hire that guy man he's got to be on mission or else he can't work here and that's paid dividends for us I mean our team does way more than anybody ever would ever expect because they they
0: got the mission mentality I love it do you have a personal routine? I mean, you sound, you told me you were just, you know, you're like flying all over the country. You're, and yet you sound totally inspired, totally passionate, totally motivated. Does that come from, you know, do you regiment your life in a certain way? You know, you make sure you get, you know, get to the gym or, you know, you eat, you don't eat any gluten or something like that, or is it just, you know, lots <laughs> naturally of caffeine, arising? Deep,
1: Lots of caffeine. Though. It's funny you say that because one of my commitments is I'm back to the gym. You know, I was so focused on the, on the job that I, I lost track of the other things. And, you know, that's one of the lessons that I've learned as a founder that if you got other founders that are listening, I do have a responsibility to my investors and I have a huge responsibility to my to my team members to give them all I got, man. I, I owe them my A game every single day. I owe my customers my A game every day. But you know what I forgot? I owe my family and myself my A game. And that's tough to make sure that you have A game wherever you go. And so it has to be intentional. So I do, right? try to make sure I get sleep. I try hard to kind of feed the soul. I love my I love my family, I love my children, but you know I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I find that reading inspires me. I have I read three types of books. I read the things around my profession, sales. I always want to know what's going on in the sales world. I want to know the latest thinking. I read a lot about leadership because I work with leaders and I want to make sure I can lead my team. And then I also finish with I read success stories because I'm one of those guys that believes what you think about is what you'll do. So I fill my head with success man. And my motor drives and I, I, I'm authentic. What you hear right now is authentic. I mean, I love what we do, Sam. We change companies, we change lives. And it's so fun to sell to and work with people that have the same challenge that I had my whole career. How
0: often do you get to do that? It's amazing. What are, give us three books that you love that we should read. One of the uh, my success one that that I,
1: that I love right now is Shoe Dog. Phil Knight story of Nike. Have you read great, that?
0: Great book. I have read that book. That's amazing.
1: How awesome is that book? Right.
0: That is, the thing that is I love. The, the thing I love about it is that Nike didn't go public until the company was like 15 years old. You know, I think he started in like 63, 64, 65 or something, and they went public in like 1979 or 1980. And you know, he'd been doing it a long ass time. And you know, it wasn't like it was an instant success story.
1: No, you're dead on. And so I had no idea how many times that company almost died. And so yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my favorite quote from that book was where he said that when he was selling financial instruments at whatever that was, and he was selling encyclopedias as a door to door sales guy, if you remember that he said he hated his life, but when he started selling shoes, they were just flying out of the trunk, not because the shoe was the best. In fact, if you remember, he didn't even make the shoe. It was someone
0: else's shoe that he private labeled. Yeah, it was in Japan.
1: Yeah. He said passion. He said the passion that he had was you know, contagious, and, and it was something that the customers... The passion that he had, you know, was undeniable and it was irresistible. That was the word. The passion was irresistible. And that's one I love about that book so much. The first sale that you got to have happen has to happen in your heart. So that's, that's the success book is the Nike one. I'll give you two recent ones that are. Recent books that I like, those would be like uh, non-compensated plugs to a couple of recent authors. Keith Rosen's newest book, Sales Leadership, is great. My all-time favorite leadership book for salespeople is Cracking the Sales Management Code by Jason Jordan. The new one that I'm really digging right now is Keith Rosen's Sales Leadership book.
0: It's awesome but awesome.
1: And then the one that I would say on sales, the new one that I like, it's on, it's flying off the charts. Uh, the guy's a friend of mine. I dug into it. I gave it a good read. It's legit. I think everyone should read it. It's gap selling by Keenan. It's, it's a great way of looking
0: at that, at the sales world. I think he was on, I, I don't know when uh, this episode will air, but I spoke to, I spoke to him yesterday for the podcast and we were talking all about gap selling. It's a great book.
1: I endorse it all the
0: way. I've had him on my podcast.
1: It's the right thing. Too many people anchor to products. They don't anchor to problems. And we don't speak the language of the problem. We should speak that fluently. And, you know, one of the things that I believe that we ought to do is start having problem training, not just product training. So I'm all in on that
0: that's awesome that's fantastic rob thank you so much for being on the show i'm sure there are people out out there in the world that are listening and are inspired by this conversation and so you know if they want to work at xvoyant or become a customer what's the preferred method of communication to reach you so that they can connect with either you or your company
1: yeah find me on linkedin we share a ton of content email me directly it's rob at xvoyant but we like i said follow us on LinkedIn because we share a lot of content for sales leaders. We give away a lot of free insights because again, we are committed to the profession and, and, uh, I am really approachable and I love talking to sales leaders, Sam. I freaking love it. And so I love meeting as many as I can.
0: (laughs) Well, I look forward to meeting you in person in a couple of weeks and Rob, thanks so much for being the sales hacker podcast. This has been awesome.
1: Sam, thank you for having me. Again, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for building such a great resource for the entire sales community. It's it's a terrific show. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to Sam's Corner. Another great conversation, uh, this time with Rob Jepson. First of all, you can just tell Rob's passion and enthusiasm for the art and science of sales. And I think it's just so important if you have a leader or a manager or a mentor, somebody that is that passionate about their craft. I think it's contagious and I think it's infectious, and it's so, it's so great speaking to somebody like Rob that has such a, a wonderful take on sales, but also the importance of coaching. Right? That's that's what that was the subject of our conversation, and I think we we always have to come back to this concept of purpose-driven activities. Rob is talking all the time about not just. Making sure that your reps are doing more and more and more, but that they're doing the right things that lead to the right conversion rates, which lead to the right outcomes. I think that, Rob also talked about not having your own set of numbers as a sales manager, but making sure that there's transparency and authenticity within the context of your conversation uh, with your reps. And I think if you're going to truly embrace a coaching culture, there has to be a level of authenticity and transparency, which means that you don't get to have a separate set of data that you bring into that conversation for the rep to be surprised with. It has to be a mutual understanding. I I think the final thing that, that, that Rob talked about, which I think is so important is, our tendency to ignore our top performers. And let's not do that. Let's dive in and let's figure out what is the most that is possible from somebody that is exceptional and that can really deliver an exceptional outcome. How much more can we invest in their productivity and their performance? That's a lesson that comes out very clear and first break all the rules, which is a great management book that I'm always telling people to read. But the point is, don't assume that your top performers are on autopilot. Let's see how much better they can do by investing in them and investing in their success. So this has been Sam's Corner. Thanks so much to our uh, sponsors. The first is Showpad. Showpad is the leading sales enablement platform for the modern seller. Learn more at showpad.com forward slash sales hacker, as well as outreach. Outreach is the leading sales engagement platform. You can check out more at outreach.io. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm at LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in and then forward slash Sam F Jacobs. If you have any interest or curiosity and more and learning more about the show, please reach out. And otherwise, I'll talk to you next time. Look around, look around, look around.